0: In case you missed the announcement, the Optimize Yourself podcast is currently on summer hiatus, but that does not mean that we plan to leave you high and dry without engaging conversations that educate, motivate, and inspire you. We're gonna be back this fall with some significant changes and improvements to the show. But in the meantime, this week, I would like to share with you an interview that I did last year with Erica Wernick, who's the host of the Hollywood Success Coach, who reached out to me to discuss the article that ended up going viral last summer, called Called Dear Hollywood, we don't want to go back to normal. Normal wasn't working. In our interview, Erica and I talk about what isn't working, about how Hollywood does business and it treats its creative professionals and its below the line workers. Now, I have no doubt this is going to be a very interesting listen one year out with a lot more perspective about how things have changed or frankly, how things haven't changed since the pandemic began. I highly recommend Erica's show and her work as a success coach. She and her podcast can be found at HollywoodSuccessCoach.com, all one word.
1: is the Hollywood success podcast, where we share the strategies and mindset that will help you achieve your biggest dreams in Hollywood. I'm Erica Wernick, Hollywood success coach, and I'm a little obsessed with helping you get to the next level in your Hollywood career without ever needing a lucky break. You've got this. Hello, welcome to the Hollywood Success Podcast. I'm your host, Erica Warnick, Hollywood's leading success coach, and this is episode 313. Today, I have an incredible guy on the podcast, Zach. Arnold Zach is an award-winning Hollywood film and TV editor. He's worked on shows such as Cobra Kai, Empire, Burn Notice, Underground. Oh, and hey, Glee! I know that show. Um, A documentary editor. Um, He worked on Go Far, the Christopher Rush story. He's also a father of two and the creator of the Optimize Yourself program and podcast. Um, Zach and I connected over the internet. On Facebook, Zach had written a blog post that went viral in the Hollywood community. It was all about what is not working anymore in Hollywood and what needs to change moving forward as COVID is forcing us to do things differently. Um, And it was a really great article and obviously resonated with so many people, hundreds of people sharing it, commenting, um, you know, liking it and really just connecting to it in general. And it started a great conversation. And I think he said things that people were too afraid to say. So this is heavily, you know, influenced by the insane hours that we work in Hollywood um, and how that impacts our health and our immune system and the the rest of our life, you know, outside of work, our relationships, um, you know, our interests outside of work, you know, any kind of life that you might want outside of work, how that has been impacted by the hours that we work in Hollywood. And he has some really great um, ways of explaining how we can do this differently. Um, And so... I shared his post because I was like, yes, this is one of the reasons why I became an entrepreneur. And he also became an entrepreneur. Like we both kind of left the industry, but also still do some projects. Um, You know, like I still do pilots. I still, I did a commercial a couple weeks ago um, and he is kind of similar in the way that he does things, but we both wanted more for our life um, other than just these insane demands. It's like not even just the hours. It's that, you know, like I would always get phone calls or texts from my boss at like six in the morning when I'm in the shower getting ready for work or like at, you know, 11 o'clock at night. Did you remember to send that to the printer? And you know, like there are just no boundaries at all that are healthy in any way. And it really impacts people's lives and their health and their relationships. Um, and so that's how Zach and I connected. And I was like, hey, you want to come on my podcast and let's talk about this and continue this conversation? So that's what we did. And I hope that you enjoy this and um, share your thoughts with us, Zach or myself, if you have um. You know, if you, if you have any thoughts on this topic, what your experience has been and what you want moving forward and. Zach wrote a new version of the article that's like a follow-up that I've posted in the show notes that you can go check out. And within that new follow-up article, so his new follow-up article includes a solution. The first article was about all of the problems, and this new one is really about his proposed solution. Um, and it's really good. And so within that new article, there's also a petition that you can sign that. Um, to get the film work week to 45 hours, which is insane to, you know, it probably like if you worked in the industry at all, it probably blows your mind to think about a work week that is only 45 hours, but go read his article. He talks about why it is not only possible, but it is potentially more profitable, Um, and so really powerful, important conversation to be having in this industry right now, go check out the article, go sign the petition. If it speaks to you, I've signed it, um, and let us know what you think. And, um, here is Zach. Well, I am really excited to talk to you today, Zach, because, We just connected a week or two ago on the internet, like people do these days. We know a little bit about each other, enough to know that we have a lot in common. So I'm so glad that we were able to make this happen. So welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to be here and I very much appreciate the opportunity. So let's do it.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. We have so much to talk about. So just to preface, Zach and I originally connected because he wrote a post that essentially went viral. About what is not working in the film industry. Because as we prepare to go back with new COVID 19 procedures in place, there's a lot of room to make changes, not only because we're forced to make changes because of health, but also because a lot of the stuff that hasn't been working contributes to our immune system and our health. So it's really all related. So Zach wrote this really compelling post that obviously resonated with a lot of people and it went viral and I shared it and that's how we connected. Um, But before we get into all of that, uh, do you just want to share a little bit about your background? So obviously you're this incredible award-winning editor. How did you get into that path?
0: Yeah. So that that could be a, a podcast in and of itself. I could go on forever, but I'll condense it because I know it's not the- The Quibi the version? Base. Yes, exactly. The, maybe maybe the Quibi version. or I, I won't give you the TikTok version. I'll at least give you a little bit of substance. But okay. the Quibi version sounds about right. Um, so yeah, I basically was born and raised and grew up f- obsessed with Hollywood and filmmaking. Um, and I grew up in northern Wisconsin, which is as far from Hollywood as you can possibly get. <laughs> grew up on a, a cattle farm that was seven miles from the nearest town, 30 miles from the nearest stoplight. Um, So the joke that I always make about where I grew up and where I am now is I need a passport to go back and forth because they're like foreign countries. Technically, all in the United States, but it's really, really foreign. So growing up, it never occurred to me I could actually live and work in Hollywood and be a part of the business. It was just this thing that I saw on the movie screens and on the TV. And I loved editing stuff myself, literally using two VHS decks back and forth. And um, anytime that I had to do a paper as early as my freshman year of high school, all the way through college. Hey, can I do a video presentation instead of a paper? Sometimes I got away with it. Sometimes you were I didn't.
1: like Dawson from Dawson's Creek. <laughs> yeah. So I,
0: I I've, I've been the AV video nerd essentially my whole life. Um, and my quote unquote Hollywood success story is that the week before graduation, I went to school at the university of Michigan in Ann Arbor, my the week before graduation. And I hate to date myself, but this was when the internet was just beginning and you didn't really do a whole lot online. There was no Facebook, there's no Twitter or anything yet. Um, but I had done some, some research and I found a company that looked interesting that worked on independent movie trailers. And they had a job listing for an assistant editor. I'm like, what the heck? Like, I'm not planning on moving to LA for like six months, but let's just, I just want to see what the process is like. Let me teach myself how to email a resume. Cause that's what it was like, Ooh, this is new. How does this work? So it's just getting familiar with the process. Friday evening, I had my entire family from all over the country there for the big dinner for the night before graduation, get a phone call. Hey, Zach, we're calling because we wanted to see if you could come in for uh, an interview on Monday morning. I'm like, sure, yeah, no problem. Part of the story I haven't told yet is that I put a Los Angeles address because Uh anybody that works in LA knows if you're not local, you don't get called.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: I, I had a friend of mine that moved, I don't know, maybe a month or two before and I used his address. I'm like, sure, no problem. Yeah, I can be there Monday. Just send me the address. Hang up, mom, dad, I need to go to Los Angeles Sunday morning. Oh my God, what's going on? I got an interview. So Saturday morning, go to my graduation ceremony, Saturday afternoon, have the big family celebration, pack that night, get on a plane to LA at 7 a.m. Sunday morning, had my interview Monday, I uh, spent another couple extra days in LA because I'd never been out here before, just learning how to drive, how the maps worked, had this thing called a Thomas Guide at the time, once again, dating (laughs) myself (laughs) before you had GPS, flew home, got a phone call the next morning. We loved you. Can you start Monday? So the the gap between me being a college graduate and working and living in Los Angeles was a two and a half day gap where I spent all of it in my car driving to Los Angeles. So I've been living and working in LA ever since for about 20 years.
1: Are you, are you cool with sharing the company name? Yeah,
0: sure. Uh, the company name now, it's called KO Creative. Okay. Um, they were under a different name back then, but a really small independent company that had done uh, trailers for, uh, the reason I found them is they did the advertising for my favorite film of all time, which is Memento. So I saw a memento in the theater. I said, that's what I want to do with my life. Did all kinds of research on it. Randomly found the company through some search. It wouldn't have been a Google search at that time, but I found them, saw that they were looking for uh, the assistant, sent it in, and that's it. So one resume, one interview, got my first job in Hollywood and uh, been doing it ever since.
1: I was asking because one of my very first interviews ever in LA wasn't really an interview. It was was like a get-to-know-you meeting, but was for a trailer company. Mm. I mean, cause I'm a graphic designer, but I, yeah. it would have been just really crazy if it was the same way, but it's not. <laughs> um, so that is so fascinating. And I'm always like really impressed with editors because I hate editing. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it is the most tedious. You have to have so much patience to be an editor. Would you, do you, Feel oh, that absolutely!
0: Way? I, I think that patience is absolutely a virtue you have to possess as an editor. But I know a lot of editors that would probably say the same thing about graphic design. Really? Oh, god! It's just drawing and fonts and images, and you yeah. don't get video and music. Like it's not <clears throat> exciting like editing. It's just this flattened image on paper. So it's all about perspective, right?
1: Yes, I just like. But I'm like, oh my gosh, you're moving like frame by frame. Mm-hmm. I That blows my mind because in design school we we did Flash back in the the day. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first experience with learning, you know, that type of software where it's based on a time frame. And even now, when I'm like, I'll put this together in like iMovie because I'm not hiring anyone mm-hmm. at this point. And to me, it is just so, yeah, so tedious, so tedious to go like frame by frame by frame. Um, so I'm curious uh, from an editor's perspective, like, I feel like as an editor, Um, you have an incredible amount of... What's the word I am trying to say? Like, you really have to understand storytelling because editing is a huge part of telling the story. And people don't always think about it that way because they think about production. Mm -hmm. You know, they think about storytelling as the script and it's the filming. But the editing process, I mean, especially we can always know from reality television, right? I mean, the, the editing process can can create a story from nothing. So um, I'm just curious, like, what is your experience with storytelling? And was that part of your love of editing? And how do you feel about that now with your incredible career that you've had?
0: Sure. I mean, storytelling is absolutely a fundamental part of being an editor. Um, I love the the craft specifically of being able to create emotion. So, if you're a storyteller and you're a writer, you're creating a world from scratch. You're creating people from scratch. And they always say in the filmmaking process that you make three different movies there's a movie that you write, there's the movie that you shoot, and there's the movie that you edit. So, good. unfortunately, most people are budgeting for the writing and the shooting, and they're like, well, we're done. Now we just got to cut out the bad parts. <laughs> well, it's a little bit more difficult than that. Okay. Um, but fundamentally, we are the final writers. There are some writers that want to take the sole writing credit, but anybody that's been through the whole filmmaking process knows that a tremendous amount of rewriting and restructuring happens in the edit room. So if it's just about knowing the technical side of things, knowing how to use Avid or Premiere or iMovie or whatever it is, well, frankly, that's ubiquitous because anybody can learn that, that stuff for free now, but not anybody can learn the fundamentals of how to tell a great story. So one of the things that I did, even though I wasn't interested in it professionally, is I taught myself how to be a writer. And I wrote three full-length scripts from top to bottom because I had to understand how is a story structured. And when you're on the page trying to write it, what are the, the challenges that a writer or a director is going to go through And then how is that going to manifest in the edit room so we can speak a similar language? So I don't want to just be like, well, that's not how it works in the edit bay, right? I want to be able to speak their same language and really talk about it from a structural standpoint and a story arc standpoint. So I'm always looking, what can I learn about other people's crafts so I can be better at my own? And there's no craft to get good at other than, I would say there's no better craft other than writing um, if you want to be a really, really great editor.
1: Yeah, I love that so much, especially, you know, when you're talking about anyone can go learn Avid or Premiere, it's the same with graphic design. I mean, anyone can go learn Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign and say that they're a graphic designer, but the tool does not make you the expert. Um, It's everything that goes behind that. And so it's, you know, I've really been paying attention to shows that I've been watching lately and everything that you're talking about it's so fascinating that you are like no i studied how to write a script and i and i went in there and it's so important but i think also what an editor does especially because you originally said about emotion an editor is also telling like miniature stories in moments in addition to the grander story but like in moments you're telling a story right and so like one specific take could tell a story a certain way versus another take, ta- you know, telling it another way or even the way that it's cut. Um, so do you find that that's part of your process too? Like those those little moments of storytelling?
0: I mean, that, that's essentially what I do in a dark windowless room all day, every day. <laughs> the, the, the joke that I tell editors yeah. and non-editors may not get it, but anybody that's worked in a timeline gets this. I say to distill Down to the essence of what we do. We play Tetris all day long with people's emotions.
1: Yes! We
0: have all these little colored blocks in our (laughs) timeline. And I there's only two things that I care about when I'm putting something together. And you talked about it. It's not even just moments. It's frames. Mm -hmm. It's 24 frames a second. I have 24 instances every single second where I have to know two things. Number one, where's the audience looking? Where's their attention on the screen? And number two, what are they feeling? And it's my job to make sure if they're not feeling what they're supposed to or they're not looking at what they're supposed to, I make sure that they are. So uh, a fairly unpopular way to put it that I think can be uh, skewed negatively but I actually think is very representative of what we do, we manipulate the audience's experience. Anybody that says Mm -hmm. that any video medium whatsoever is not manipulative and it is conveying reality – that's that's not true. Even documentary is yeah. some person's specific perspective of how they want to tell a non-fictional story. But as soon as you're making a choice to cut this line out, but keep this line or use this piece of music versus that piece of music, you're manipulating and creating a specific emotional response. Mm-hmm. So, as an editor, I have to be incredibly empathetic to whatever I believe the audience is going to feel, and then I have to manipulate the timeline in such a way to make sure that people feel that and I also have to make sure I understand what the writers, directors, and the producers want people to feel because ultimately it 's my job to help somebody else realize their vision, not realize my own so there right. 's there's a, there's a lot at play in really being a successful editor beyond, well, I can edit shots together, and I know how to put a, a piece of music on this like it 's a lot more subtle. Than that.
1: Yes, it is. It is, and you know, I would. I feel like with same with graphics, it's like we say good graphic design goes unnoticed, right? It's like the same thing. Like good editing is going to go unnoticed. Bad editing, on the other hand, right? And the same with bad graphics. It it's it's really catches your eye. It's really noticeable. Um. So, all right. So, I mean, I feel like we could sit here for a million hours, and I could just pick your brain about editing because I just think it's such a fascinating process. But I. I'd love to hear just for people who are, you know, someone who might want a career like yours. You know, you've worked on some pretty big projects, some really cool stuff. Could you share some of the struggles that you have encountered along the way? Because I think that people go, "Oh wow, Zach has such a cool career. It was probably all rainbows and butterflies. He booked his first gig like a day after college." Um, and so sometimes people can feel like, "Oh man, I'm struggling." So I guess that you know, it's not going to happen for me. So have you had any struggles along the way?
0: No, my career for 20 years has been yeah. absolutely perfect. <laughs> I have I have no horror stories. Everything has gone exactly the way that I pictured it. So unfortunately, we're going to have to cut the show short. Cool. It's been a pleasure being here. Yes, I really appreciate it, ever. but that's all I had to share. So <laughs> um, no, uh, it has been far from uh, a pleasurable experience. Uh, and this is probably going to segue uh, quite well into some of the other things we're going to talk about a bit later. Um, but the the craft of being an editor is immensely... Um, it's immensely intimidating from a lifestyle perspective. So the craft itself. Awesome. Amazing. Like I, you would talk, I've heard you talk about before where if you're just focusing on craft, it's just a hobby until you really get yourself out there. Right. And for me, I don't even know what hobbies are. People are like, what are your hobbies? I'm like, I don't have hobbies. I have obsessions. (laughs) That's just the way that I am in anything that I do. I'm very intense. And my obsession for years and years and years was editing, doing it all by myself, learning by myself, self-taught, not getting paid for it, and then realizing I can get paid to do this someday. Once you get paid to do something for a living, the game changes. And once I started getting paid to do it and realizing the expectations, I realized there were a there was a lot more to working in this industry than just being really, really good at the craft. And I think that the more that I've learned throughout the years, when, now that I've really been telling my story and putting it out there, it isn't just editors, but when you're an editor, you think it's just you because editing is a very isolating career where you spend the vast majority of it in a four walled room all by yourself, no windows, just you and a computer. Even if it's, if it's on a giant production, you can go months without seeing another human being. So what happens is that you get so wrapped up in the job, so wrapped up in the requirements of it, and the hours, and it just slowly starts to whittle away at you and you don't even realize that it's happening at first, right? It's, you don't even realize you're in quicksand until all of a sudden you're up to it in your chest and you're like, what? how did that happen, right? This idea of the frog in the boiling water. So I was the frog in the boiling water for about three years in my career, was convinced that I was a machine and I could do anything. And I was working on my first independent film. And at one point we were in the middle of director's cut and I was doing seven day weeks for 16 hours a day for seven weeks straight. And that's not an exaggeration. So the director would show up at my house at 9 a.m. She would leave at 1 a.m. It was that every day for seven weeks straight with no days off. And all of a sudden we had a break and I just completely collapsed. I was at the point where I was dealing with not just anxiety and depression, but suicidal levels of depression. So much overwhelm that I remember one day I was just, I spent about two months straight doing nothing but watching law and order SVU reruns for like 12 hours a day. And I was living with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife And she said, listen, and she was, she was very, uh, very sympathetic. She knew what I'd been going through, but she said, I need your help to take out the trash and then can you help with the dishes? Too much, totally broke down in tears. That was way, way too much for me to be able to handle and process. And I realized at a very, very young age that if I wanted to be successful in any stage of the, my career in Hollywood, but specifically at the stage where I was as an editor, I had to start prioritizing lifestyle. Because with that lifestyle, I was going to be dead by the age of 40. So I had spent years and years before that really obsessed with martial arts and meditation and yoga and all these athletic pursuits that I was doing. And I said, well, what if I – instead of saying I can get to that stuff during hiatus – you know, I'll I'll get healthy when hiatus comes. I don't need to worry about it now. What if I actually started combining my love of the athletic mindset and the creative mindset, and I made it into one. So I just started to experiment with all these different lifestyle hacks and standing desks and all this other stuff. And for years, I was just laughed at, like, this is just goofy. What are you doing? Like, just focus on your job. Then all of a sudden, it started to click. And it went from this is goofy to, can you teach me how to do that? how are you, how did you figure all this out? Like, how did you get the, the big break that I got in TV was about a decade ago on the TV series burn notice. I don't know if you've, uh, if you know that show or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went from having zero credits in TV and being told you could never work in television to being on burn notice like that. And as soon as I was all of a sudden at the, the A level in Hollywood, all of these other people were saying, wait, why are you working at your standing desk? And how come like you you seem like you're relatively healthy and you're going home and putting your, your kids to bed. Like, so I realized that there was a need for me to start talking about this stuff. Then I got sucked into the world of working on much bigger shows. So uh, kind of the, the game changing credit for me was working on the first two seasons of empire. Mm -hmm. So I edited um, I was on the first season when the show just went absolutely, you know, crazy bananas Um, like 25 million people watching what you're working on in this little dark room. I couldn't even fathom it. So on one end, I'm thinking I've quote unquote made it. This is what all this work has been for. And a week from now, people are gonna watch the season finale of the biggest piece of appointment television in a decade. And then the same night, I'm putting my kids to bed via FaceTime for the hundredth time. And on one of those nights, uh, my wife thought she had hung up She was uh, on the phone with uh, my five-year-old at the time. And they thought they hung up and he leaned into her and said, why doesn't daddy ever want to be home with us? Why doesn't he love us? Uh, And that was it. I said, I'm out. This is just, this isn't worth it. This isn't what I signed up for. I still love my craft, but I can't do things the way that I'm doing it now until I retire. This is not, this is not the life that I want anymore. And the really scary part of it was realizing this is the only thing I've ever been paid for. Mm. Got a house, got kids, got a wife, got a family, got cars. Nobody's ever paid me for anything except editing. So now what? And that's when the journey began to get me to the point where now I have the blog, the podcast, the coaching program, online courses, you know, to, to be in a world very similar to yours is that I realized that I love my craft, but not enough that I'm willing to sacrifice everything in exchange for my Oscar speech someday. Hmm.
1: Wow. I feel like our stories are pretty similar. That's, so do you still edit at all?
0: Um, For the most part, I'm retired. Uh, I still work on Cobra Kai. Um, The show just got picked up by Netflix. So if it goes back to another season, I'm gonna, I will be in discussions for how to possibly make that work with my schedule. But for the most part, I've transitioned to doing what I'm doing full-time.
1: So you and I are so similar. I mean, yeah. I think that we we like we went into our own businesses for different reasons. But um, I want to talk about this because your your post like was talking that went viral was talking about this about what isn't working, and it's scary to speak up. To an industry of this is how we've always done it. This is how it's always been. To an industry where it is standard to work 14 hour days. Um, To speak up and say, this isn't working for me. And not even just for me, but like, like it was so, I was, I loved your post so much because you were like, this isn't working for a lot of people. And I think when you transitioned with your business, you were discovering that it wasn't just you. And I think it's so interesting to have these conversations because it, it sucks that it has been this way because I think a lot of us are in Hollywood because we love it. We love Hollywood. We love the magic of Hollywood. We love the impact of storytelling. We love our craft. We love what we do. We love collaborating. We love the creative process. And then there's this piece that makes it unlivable or that makes it, you know, nearly impossible for you to have a full life, um, that cancels all of that out. And so, um, you know, your post was talking about like, can we change this? You know, because like, can we have both? Um, And so, and I think like now both of us from an entrepreneurial standpoint, right? It's like the second we become entrepreneurs, we kind of have a different lens on, you know, time efficiency and what is possible and all of that. So what do you feel now, like now that you've transitioned into this different life for yourself, and especially since you've made that post, like what do you feel now about um the industry making changes in what's possible.
0: Well, I don't think the industry has any choice at this point. That's mm-hmm. that's what I'm seeing happen now. Mm-hmm. So the, the most common response I think that I got, and there were a lot of responses. I mean, this mm-hmm. this was shared to over a hundred thousand people in less than a week. Like I would love to say that's how big my audience is, but let's be honest, it's not, right? <laughs> um, it is now. Um, but it was shared to a lot of people that had never heard of me or what I was saying before. And I kept hearing the same thing over and over. Thank you for starting this conversation. My response is, I've been having this conversation for like 10 years, Yeah, right? It's only now people are starting to find it because everybody's feeling the same thing. We're all energetically, we're all finally on the same wavelength. And the conversation that I've had before I wrote this article, at least 50 times since the pandemic hit was the following. I was just getting by before. It was kind of, sort of working. But now I have this amazing level of self awareness that I didn't have before. Now that I'm not driving, I realize how awful my commute was. Now that I'm not working 14 to 16 hours a day, I realize how awful my health and my work life balance was. I can't go back. I just can't bring myself to go back. And I've had multiple conversations with people bawling in tears saying, I don't know what to do with my life because I can't do it the way that I was doing it before. So it wasn't just a matter of what everybody's been saying for years. Oh, there's too many hours and you know the, the, the hours are causing people to fall asleep in the wheel and none of this is new. What's different is that now we have no choice. And people are realizing with this hyper-awareness that they can't go back to making the previous choices. But I know that Hollywood is going to try as hard as humanly possible to just get people back because like you said, I love what I do and quote unquote, I'm just lucky to be here. Mm-hmm. So there, there's this uh, concept that's called the passion tax. Have you ever heard of this? No. So they've actually done research and found the people that do creative work that they're passionate about get taken more advantage of. <sighs> Because the people that hire them know that they can't. Mm-hmm. So everybody's paying a passion tax big time right now. And people are realizing I'm not willing to pay those taxes anymore. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think has to happen is that from the business standpoint before, and the, there's a story that uh, I've told many, many times that I heard from Walter Murch. So I don't know if you're familiar with Walter Murch or your audiences, um, but he's basically the editor. Like he's as big as it gets. He did Apocalypse Now and The Godfather 2. Like he's a legend in our end of the world. And I did a podcast interview with him about two, three years ago. And the idea of the podcast was talk to me how things, uh, talk to me about how things have changed in the industry from the days of film to the days of now, the number of hours, the requirements. And he's like, they really haven't changed that much. I know people like to think it's gotten so much worse since digital. Things were just the same in the seventies. He was working on a huge pole movie in the the middle of like testing phase, trying to get this thing delivered, they went to one of the executives and said, listen, we need to do something about the schedule. People are dropping like flies. And the response was, get more flies. Mm -hmm. That's the way that the business has worked for decades. And that worked until the pandemic. The reason it doesn't work anymore is because as soon as people start to drop like flies, production stops. Once production stops, then the executives, the studios, and everybody else loses money just like the people that can't work. Right. That's the deciding factor. And the number one thing that's going to cause these work stoppages over and over and over is infections. What's going to cause infections? Suppressed immune systems from everybody being tired, overworked, and underslept. So at this point, I feel like if Hollywood is going to move forwards and we're going to figure out how to get everybody back to work, work work-life balance is no longer something that would be nice to have we need to have it if we're going to figure this out. I don't think that it can just be some side thing that we're hoping we get at this point. The only way this works is if we find a way to balance it and people stay healthy.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's it's really sad that it's taken this long and it's come to this, you know, for the reason. Um, but I like to have a positive outlook and, you know, really hope that things can change now. I think that There is this energy in Hollywood of desperation. You know, there's always that desperation. There's always that you're replaceable, you know, mindset of like, you know, like I worked for a boss who, who, I mean, none of us have lives outside of work, but he really didn't have a life outside of work. And it was clear, like it was a choice for him. You know, he was choosing it. And so he'd be there. All on the weekends, like anytime I would drive by the lot, I would see his car, you know, there on the weekends and he would be there like all hours. And he, like, there was very little for him outside of it. And there's always gonna be people like that, you know, when when the industry goes, oh, but this person is willing to sacrifice their entire life. And so as long as that exists, then we should keep going. You know, like I, years ago when I worked on a Fox show, my boss had to fight to get me to be on the team as a graphic designer because, oh, Modern Family only has three people in their art department. And they've been getting by for years and they're a Fox show. And so therefore, all of the other Fox shows should be able to get by with just three people in the art department. Right. So it's like they find an example of somebody willing to give up, you know, give it all up and then say that that has to be how it is for everyone.
0: Yeah, and I think that the the misnomer there is that in the past, and maybe even, even still to this day, if the majority of people are willing to be that person, that boss that you talked about, that's the problem that's the cultural shift that needs to happen Mm -hmm. is if the majority of people say, we're not going to put up with this BS anymore, and we're going to come to work, and we're going to do amazing work, but we're not going to be judged by the amount of hours that we have to be here. So judge me by output instead of by punching a time clock. And it's a little bit harder if you're working on on set with call times and directors and cameras. But if you're not, then just judge me on what I need to get done, not the amount of time you feel like I have to be stuck in front of my computer. Mm -hmm. Um, Once people start to speak up about the fact that the expectations that are put upon us are completely unrealistic, then people are going to have to start to listen. I can give you the perfect example of this in microcosm, similar to your experience with a graphic design department. Uh, So after season one of Empire, that just about killed all of us. Like that was just an insane roller coaster where like you just got off of it and it was just like, what just happened? Like six months of my life, just gone. Right. I remember very, very little of it. But we assumed, well, we're going to learn from this, of course. Why wouldn't we learn from this? And we can iterate and we can make things better for season two. I walked in my first day of season two. I had eight hours worth of raw footage from one music number. And I was told we need to have this by tomorrow morning because they need to finish shooting the rest of it. And then on top of it, they said, you're going to get two days for your editor's cut. And I just flat out said, this is not how things are going to work this season. I know that you've been on network TV shows before and I know that those procedurals all had two-day editor's cuts. Empire is a completely different animal and none of us can deliver the show in two days. So as long as we accept that reality, let's figure out some sort of alternative. And because everybody agreed that it just couldn't be done and there was a better way, we iterated and we got to the point where we had a four-day editor's cut because we were getting seven to eight hours worth of raw footage a day. Yeah. On, on a macro... If we have everybody start to come out and say, well, I'm just not going to work the 80 hours anymore, and there has to be a different way, and everybody collectively agrees, then I think the conversation starts. But until that conversation is willing to happen on a much larger scale, it's going to continue to be, well, you're lucky to be here. I've got a stack of 100 resumes of people that will do what you won't do tomorrow morning, so suck it up or you're out. Mm -hmm. But if nobody else is willing to be on that pile, then the conversation changes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I worked on Glee. And so we had to deal with all of those music numbers too. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, You know, I'm curious too, if the pandemic has helped people Not only become self-aware, like you're mentioning, but reconnect with the pieces of their life that they haven't had or that they only get on hiatus, like relationships, like health, like hobbies, like travel, you know, all of these things that enrich our life. And, you know, look, as creatives... But we need fulfillment outside in our life um, to be more creative and to do better at our jobs. And so I'm wondering if people are like reconnecting with like, oh yeah this is what it's like to spend time with my spouse or my partner or my kids or, oh yeah. Like, and I know right now we can't like go out to dinner and things like that. But I, like, I remember whenever I'd be on a show, I could never make plans with friends. Um, you know, even I'm single, but I, I could never make plans with friends during the week ever because I could never guarantee that I'd be out by a certain time to meet somebody. So um, I think that's a big part of it too, you know, just being able to like reconnect with, the other parts that make our life fulfilling.
0: Yeah, I've, I've seen comment after comment after comment from people that say the exact same thing. I have gotten to know my kids better in the last four months than I have mm-hmm. my entire life. I can't go back to work and lose what I've just built, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that's the fear is that before they didn't really know completely what they were missing and right. they just did what it took to survive. But people have this thing called loss aversion, Right? So it's this psychological concept that they talk a lot about in the marketing world where it's hard to sell something new to somebody, but once they have it, it's really hard for them to give it up. Right? You you can see this with clothes. Clothes is a really good example. So you're like, oh, I don't need this or I don't need that or that, but then you buy it. And then six months later, it's hanging in your closet and you're cleaning it out. Well... I don't know. I might wear it. I might need it. I don't know if I want to get rid of it. Right. So it's yeah. this loss aversion. So I think that this conversation changes because now people are going to be losing something they didn't have before, mm-hmm. which is they're going to have sleep. They're going to have a relationship with their kids. that's deeper than it was before. They have a relationship with the most important people in their life. And granted with social distancing and might not be as fun as having dinner and game night with your friends, But I guarantee that there are relationships that are happening even on a socially distant level that are much more enriched because of the space that we have in our lives. So the way that I like to describe it and have been talking about it pretty much since the pandemic began and people thought I was crazy at first, four months later, they can see maybe I'm not as nuts as they thought. But I said, we're not socially distancing. We're coming together socially like we've never seen before in our lifetimes. We are physically distancing. Mm -hmm. but socially I saw so much connection happening where I, I'm sure the same thing has happened to you or i had like two or three family reunions via zoom. Like I haven't seen these people in a decade. Like it's so it, it, it almost doesn't make logical sense, but we, we found this, this thing that was missing and we immediately gravitated towards connection because that's what we needed more than anything at this moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that connection that everybody is feeling with themselves and with their lives that's the differentiator that's going to make it so much harder to get people to say, yep, I'll go back to the 80 hour weeks and the commuting three hours a day because I'm lucky to be in Hollywood. I don't think that's going to fly anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm curious too, like this is a little bit different than the pandemic stuff, but when I became an entrepreneur and I posted about this, I think you commented. When I became an entrepreneur and I had had this, I had the itch for it before I, you know, really went full-time with my business, but Becoming an entrepreneur made me hyper aware of time, Mm -hmm. time management, how to be efficient, my own creativity, and where that caps. And I work a lot less hours now, um, but I do really freaking good work. And when I am on a TV show, I mean, depending on my boss, there were times where like you were saying they're dictating how long you should be sitting in front of the computer to create. When in reality, like my creativity, depending on the day, caps off at like 4 p.m. Depending on like if I start later, then it'll go later. But in general, a lot of times I kind of like start to, you know, wean off at around 4 p.m. And I can stop working at home, you know. But when I am at work and I'm forced to work beyond that, it's like I'm like, I'm scraping so hard to find that creativity, to muster something, to check, you know, like I'm just not making really great work after that time. And I think like my bosses like they, and I know it's because it was, you know, dictated to them before that, you know, generations of this, but they didn't understand. They, they don't understand time management, or I'd be, you know, I'd be given a list of graphics and I would always work based on when they play. You know, when do these play? And we have to work backwards with getting them printed, And so sometimes I would have a boss spend like hours on a detail, on a graphic that will rarely be seen when I have a whole list of other things that need to be done by the day that they play. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's something about, you know, because an entrepreneur, it's all up to you. There's nobody giving you your paycheck. So you have to create everything. And when you have to create everything, you've got to get good at time management and knowing where to put your energy. Um, And so I've learned a lot about that. That makes it so much harder to go back to a television show whenever I go back.
0: Yeah, well, if uh, creative people were good at time management, I wouldn't have a business. (laughs) So because that's essentially where all this started was people would say, how are you able to get so much more done in so much less time? Mm -hmm. And it all started from that phone call, right? That FaceTime call where I realized, cannot work like this anymore. There's got to be a better way. But I couldn't just say, I'm not editing anymore. So I've now made that transition. But five years ago, the question wasn't, how can I just stop doing this? The question was, how can I do this for a living, but still put my kids to bed every night? That was the one fundamental question that changed my whole life. And then once you start asking that fundamental question, it changes the way that you look at every decision that you make. Well, beforehand, well, yeah, sure, when I got a little uh, tired or you know a little zoned out in the afternoon, 45 minutes or an hour of Facebook, no big deal. Nope, can't do that if I wanna get home to see my kids. What else on that list has to go? What do I have to learn uh, that I have to be better at as far as managing my creative energy throughout the day? Just because I think I'm supposed to be cutting a scene at this time, if my ultradian rhythm doesn't match that, mm-hmm. well, then how can I reorganize all of my tasks tasks. So I know that I'm editing from like 11 to 1 p.m., but then from 1:30 to 3 or 4, that's when I'm doing all my emails and that's when I'm doing all the busy work and that's when I'm in the meetings. And then I know my creativity is on fire from 4 to 5:30 and 6 to 7:30. Well, now that changes everything. So I actually work less than anybody else on the shows that I'm on. But I've never had a single complaint. It's not like my showrunners and producers say, well, your work is really substandard. Like Mm -hmm. there's a reason I end up becoming the lead editor on most of the series that I'm on. Mm -hmm. It's Because I'm able to do high quality work But then everybody's looking over their shoulder saying, how come he's not putting in Saturdays all the time? How come he didn't sleep on his couch last night? It's because I choose not to. It's because I chose time management as a meta skill that I wanted to get really good at because it makes me, number one, better creativity. Number two, buys me more space to prioritize my mental health and my well being, Number three, gets me home at night to see my kids. And it's all about time management. Mm
1: -hmm. It absolutely is. So speaking of all about being time management and- everything that we've chatted about, what what needs to change? What do you think is possible? So, you know, like, I feel like we're collectively saying we've had enough and this has to change. What do you think is legitimately possible for the industry?
0: What I'm hoping is legitimately possible is that we can shorten the expectation that 12 hours is the quote-unquote standard workday if you look at all the complaints that people have, and I've got a lot of them on, my, on that post, and there's a lot more that I couldn't even share. Mm-hmm. Time is not the only problem. We have learned that the this pandemic has shown a giant magnifying glass on society. And everything that wasn't working, and boy, is there a lot of stuff, it's yeah. all breaking. Whether it's the healthcare system, whether it's the economy, whether it's now the public school system, like everything, all the cracks are coming out. So there's you know, ageism, there's discrimination, there's racism, there's all kinds of issues that are going on in Hollywood. But the underlying issue that I think causes most everything is time and expectations. The amount of time, I think it's going to take all of you to get this done for us. And I think if there's one thing that we can change, it's changing from a standard 12 hour day or a 60 hour week to a standard 45 hour week. Mm -hmm. And for anybody that says that's not possible, Read for five minutes because there is plenty of data, science, experiences all over the world that prove that you can actually do more with 45 hours than you can do with 60. So I think that fundamentally, if there's a shift we have to make in Hollywood, it's the transition from the industrial revolution mentality of everybody is on an assembly line and you do X number of widgets per hour for X number of hours. We need to get rid of that. And it's all about output. So this is what I'm able to create this is when you need it by now, let me do my thing. But what that means is that a lot of us have to step up and prioritize time management as a skill. Otherwise we're just going to get, get drowned by everything that's already going on. But I think that the, if there's one fundamental thing that everyone can agree on, it's shorter standard workdays. days.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I know that there's a larger conversation beyond that because then of course people come back, well, what about our health insurance and what about our finances and all of that? Um, But I think that what you're saying, like, I totally am in agreement with this. And are you aware of Parkinson's law?
0: Oh, yes. I talk about Parkinson's law all the time. And actually, um, I have a post that's probably going to be out by the time you release this podcast, where I go into great detail about how Parkinson's law fixes this problem on set.
1: Right? I mean, seriously. That's
0: the number one thing that fixes this. And I've actually renamed this. So if you want to steal this, you're more than welcome to. Um, but Parkinson's law, I found is a little bit, it's a little bit stiff and complicated for people to understand. And when I teach it in my program, six weeks later, do you remember that thing? Oh, what was it called? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I've renamed it and I've redescribed it. So now everybody gets it. I call this the mother-in-law principle. <laughs> okay. And the mother-in-law principle states that no matter how long it takes you to clean your house... If your mother-in-law is coming over in four hours, it will take you exactly three minutes or three hours and 59 minutes to clean your house.
1: <laughs> That's a really right? good way
0: to explain So it. If, if we yeah. tell Hollywood, it's not a choice, we have to do it in nine hours that forces people to innovate. It's not going to make their lives that much more difficult. It is going to be for a short period of time, but we're going to realize that there are ways, of th- ways that we were doing things that just didn't work before but we didn't take the time to fix it because we just added more hours. Now you take away the hours and by the way, in my solution, you pay people the same thing for 45 they were getting paid for mm-hmm, 60. Mm-hmm. You give them the same pension contributions yep. at 45 that you were for 60 because yep. you're getting the same output. So that's part of the industrial revolution model that needs to go. Yes. So I'm showing up at work for 45 hours, I'm getting the same pension, the same money that I was before, but that forces me as a creative individual to innovate So I can get as much done in those 45 hours as possible. And in return, I get my life back.
1: Mm -hmm. And getting your life back, how that in itself enhances your output.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there are plenty of studies that prove that the more fulfilled you are outside of work, the more productive and innovative you will be at work. So if we literally were working on an assembly line, fixing widgets, there's not a whole lot of creativity involved and we have to learn how to pace ourselves for the nine hours that we're on the assembly line. But that's not what we do. That's just how we work. So there's, there's a saying that I love. I think I learned this from Cal Newport, the, the deep focus, uh, deep work guy. Um, I've had him on my podcast a couple of times. And he says, the creative people, um, the expectations are that we're gonna create like these geniuses, but our days are structured like we are accountants. Mm, Doesn't work really that good. way, right? We're not accountants. So you, we need the space and the freedom to be able to generate these ideas. But we're forced into these boxes where we have to do it from this time to this time. And there's so much noise Like one of the things that drives me crazy is that the expectation is that as an editor, I'm going to be able to keep up to camera and take these hours and hours and cut scenes and generate ideas and solve problems on set. Oh, but I should also be available on Slack and email 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I should be at everybody's behest. Anytime somebody knocks on my door, I should be available. You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want me to be creative, give me my time to be creative. So I I will rub more than one producer the wrong way when I start a job and say, here's when I'm available. Here's when I'm not. Yeah. If you'd like me to meet my deadlines, this is the way that it has to be. I'm available to you every day, but I'm not available to you whenever you need it. So I literally have a do not disturb sign, just like it's a hotel, put it on the outside of my door. I turn off Slack. I tell them you ever want to get a hold of me. Don't bother using email because I don't even check it. Because my job is not to be available to you. My job is to generate ideas and solve problems.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that takes a lot of confidence to be able to say yes. something like that. It absolutely that's, that's the fundamental piece that's missing is the lack of confidence in ourselves to set boundaries and create new expectations. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what I do in my program is I've, my, my philosophy for years and years has been, yes, there need to be new regulations from the top, but the change is going to happen culturally from the ground up one person at a time that learns how to set boundaries and learns how how to use their confidence to ask for what they really need to do the best job that they can.
1: You know, I think that my confidence started to happen to set boundaries when I, I think the entrepreneur thing really helped me because it felt, it helped me feel less disposable because it helped me feel like there were other options you know because i think that the lack of confidence comes from that desperation of well if i mess this up or if i say the wrong thing i'm i'm going to lose my job and so i think when i started i you know understanding that i could create my own income and i could have my own business it was a lot less scary to sort of stand up and set these boundaries and now you know i mostly only take design jobs when i'm allowed to work from home Um, and I usually just do pilots and I, it's just every now and then. Um, and you know, that confidence has really just come from not feeling like this is my only hope. Like this is the only thing that I'll ever do. And you know, most people aren't going to feel like that.
0: Well, and I think that the, the other thing that's so tough, especially if we're going to look at some of the people that come to you specifically, Mm -hmm. if they're newer or they're just trying to break in, they're like, well, how can I have that confidence? I'm just starting. Like I can't walk in on my first day on my first graphic design job for Fox and say, all right, listen here, everybody, here's the plan. This is my creative schedule. Don't bother me. Like I'm not naive Mm -hmm. where things change is when somebody brand new comes in and somebody at our level says, Oh no, we need to make sure that they are protected. Mm -hmm. We don't want to teach them the same bull crap that we were taught for years that you burn yourself out and you pay your dues and only the strongest survive. It's those that build the confidence first in the positions where we can protect the people that are coming in brand new. So I will advocate for the post-PAs. I will advocate for the assistant editors. Like on the, the first season, that's season of Cobra Kai, um, I was the, the lead editor. And there was a new editing team, a new editor, a new assistant. And I walked by their office and they were sitting like huddled over their little table in front of his desk eating lunch. I'm like, uh-uh. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, we, th- that's not how we're doing things on this show. I don't know what it was like on your other shows. I don't know if you rush through lunch, but here we go outside. We take an hour. We get sunlight. We get to know each other. Doesn't mean that you have to do it if you're more comfortable eating in your room and you want to. I'm not going to judge you, but you need to know that we create a culture such that it's not only accepted but it's encouraged. That you need to get away from the office and you need to take a breath. And once everybody started doing that, well, then it wasn't a problem anymore. So if you're, if it's somebody that's just listening, that's starting out, I always say you need to reach out, build your network and find an advocate that's going to have similar lifestyle needs in alignment with yours. Then you have somebody that can protect you. So you don't feel like you're all alone. Cause I came into this business completely alone and it just about literally killed me. And if I were going to do it again, that's the first thing I would do is I would seek out somebody that I know could be an advocate for me that understood how important these lifestyle needs really are for me to be better at what I do.
1: Yeah. I love that you even brought up something like lunch because that's a big thing for people like us who work in the office, you know, who people who aren't on set. And it's like, if I'm writing down on my calls or my timesheet that I have a half hour break from lunch, you need to let me take that half hour break for lunch because I have spent most of my shows eating lunch at my desk. And I remember I worked on one show where we weren't, I was just filling in. So I was only there for a couple of weeks, but we weren't allowed to eat breakfast there, you know, because there's, kitchens and their cereal and their, you know, things. And we weren't allowed to eat breakfast there because that meant that we weren't working the second we walked in the door. And that kind of environment, it just feels so icky and unhealthy. And it contributes to, you know, to all of these things that we're talking about. And, you know, look, I do work with a lot of actors. And one of the things that I encourage is like, if you are number one on the call sheet, you also have a responsibility to set the tone. And, you know, because that's a big thing, you know, to be in that kind of position because I think a lot of what we're also hearing are that these decisions are being made by people who have never set foot on set. You know, like people who are working in, you know, executive heads, you know, people who are executives for networks and for studios and they're making these decisions and they have never spent a 16-hour day on set before, right? They're making decisions about something that they don't, comprehend that they've never experienced. And so I think it's like the same thing for number one on the call sheet. You know, there was, I don't know if you saw it. There was like a quote going around that Anne Hathaway had some said something about Clint Eastwood or somebody mm-hmm. about how no chairs were allowed on set. And she thought that was great. And. Oh, well, it's for Christopher
0: Nolan. Christopher, Nolan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christopher, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. I, I saw, yeah. Eastwood,
1: the other conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. No chairs on set. And again, like, I mean, she didn't necessarily say this is the most amazing thing. And I think people should do it. But again, it's like coming from someone who doesn't understand what it's actually like to be a crew member on set mm-hmm. and why it might be nice to sit down in a chair for a hot second.
0: Well, oh. I think for, for anybody that's sitting in a, in a small dark room, whether it's graphic designing, editing, costume design, art direction, whatever it is, if you're working on notes and changes at 1am on a Friday, most likely those notes and changes came from an executive that went home at 4pm that same Friday. Right. So keep that in mind. Yes. And the, the The other thing I think to keep in mind is that the one, one of the areas where actors really have this figured out is imagine if you're number one on the call sheet and you show up for your job and you're kind of sort of drunk and you've gained 10 pounds and you don't feel so hot and you're kind of low energy, you're fired. Yep. So why is it that they get to prioritize their health and the way they look and the way they feel and their energy level? Well, because they're in front of the camera and that's what the audience sees. I get it. I'm not naive. But we should be treating ourselves the same way. I remember having a conversation with my accountant years ago where I said, I want to be able to write off my gym membership. Well, you can't. Only actors can do that. And I'm like, bullshit. No, my gym membership makes me better at what I do when I'm writing it off. Okay, I guess we can. But but that just tells you the mentality. Right. An actor can write off a gym membership an editor can't. There's something fundamentally wrong about the way that we look at that. So as individuals, we're the ones that have to take that responsibility because it's not like a giant organization is going to start looking out for us. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say the culture has to change from the ground up one person at a time.
1: Yeah. So fascinating. When I started working from home, I was like, see – this is totally doable. <laughs> like I, you know, I have iChat uh, messenger, you know, on my computer and I'm just taking screenshots on my computer, texting it over from my computer and sending my boss screenshots. They're able to get me, you know, answers quickly without me having to like go find them where they are. They're on set. They're in a meeting. You know, I, so much as possible. And this is why I come back, keep coming back to Parkinson's law is because it is this whole idea where people don't understand that there is another way or that there are other solutions because of something like Parkinson's law, which is like we fill the time that we're given. The, the allotted time is what we are going to take. Um, and so people just don't understand that there are other solutions because, well, this is how it's always been done. So this is the only way that we can do it.
0: Yeah, and some of the best innovations when you hear about some of the most amazing moments in cinema history came because of boundaries and guidelines, either lack of money or lack of a location or the weather has screwed our day and we only have four hours to shoot what we would do in nine, Mm -hmm. right? Or Harrison Ford has a stomach ache. So instead of a giant fight sequence, he pulls out a gun and he shoots a guy with a sword, (laughs) right? right? That happened because things were compressed for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And people in our industry are smart. We're creative, we're innovative. But until we're forced into a place where we have to innovate, well, yeah, we can just keep doing things the way that we are, which becomes a 10 hour day, which has become a 12 hour day, which has now become a 16 hour day. Yeah. But if we just say, for the sake and well being of nobody dying, because let's face it, right now, that's actually what's happening. It's no longer metaphorical. If we don't take care of people, they're going to die, which means production's going to stop. So if we tell everybody, you have to shoot it in nine hours do what you can in nine hours, you find all the gaps in your workflow and you realize there are a lot of inefficiencies. And I bet we can fix a lot of these. And I'm not saying we're going to shoot the same page count every day. But let's say if we're, if we're talking math for a second, if you go from a 12 hour day to a nine hour day, that's a 25% decrease. Mm-hmm. My guess is that over time, if you look at the average page count per day, it's going to go down far less than 25% if we're forced to innovate might not be one-to-one, we're not gonna shoot seven pages a day in nine if we were doing it in 12, but if we amortize over the course of an entire shoot, I think productivity and efficiency will drop far less than 25%. And frankly, line producers have proven that extended schedules without overtime are cheaper. So this whole idea that, oh, it costs way more money, again, it's just, we're all being fed a line of BS.
1: Right, or like when you have to bring in a second crew or, you
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, you're doubling up. I worked, I got to fill in on Young Sheldon and I was the last person to leave every day at like 6.30, okay? Because it is a, a show that stars a child, right? So it's it's a it's a kid's show, essentially. The, the star is a kid. Um, and so because of that, there are laws, there are rules that you have to be done quicker. And it was the most amazing thing. And it wasn't just me. It was like, they were done on set. They were done everywhere else. My boss, like the whole department had gone home. And what's interesting there is like, when we think about these rules that we have, the uh, the pumpkin rule, you know, the Cinderella mm-hmm. rule for the kids, it's like, why are we doing that for children, right? We're caring about their needs, but why would adults, you know, just because we're adults and we're not children, why would we not have needs as well to end the day earlier?
0: Well, I think at the end of the day, the difference is most people assume that if we work less hours, things are going to be more expensive, and it's going mm-hmm. to take us longer to make money. Right? Because right? at the end of the day, this is capitalism, and yeah, right. we all love our art form, but let's all be honest, it's called show business, not right. show art. right? So the people that want to turn this into a business, as long as they keep feeding us the myth that it's going to be more expensive, well, then it's going to keep working this way. As long as we can prove that it's actually cheaper to do it this way, and people enjoy the process more, and you still make your gazillions of money, mm-hmm. and you still have your, your bags and bags of cash... Well, then everybody's happy. But if if I were coming in here and saying scientifically, it's going to cost so much more money for us to be happier and healthier. Oh, that's an uphill battle. Yeah. It's actually going to make people more money. I don't get it. That's the part that I don't understand. It just means that there's a growth period where we go through these growing pains where we have to innovate. But that's what COVID is. It's that inflection point where we don't have a choice anymore. Mm -hmm. So we've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. We can't. The reality is here. This is the time to fix it right now.
1: Hundred percent, love it. Um, ah, it's so good. We could talk about this forever, but I'm so I'm so grateful that you had the courage to post that and to start this conversation for us. And you know it's, it really has started a dialogue, which is so great. And I think because of things like social media, like there is power in numbers there where we can come together. Like you're saying, we're, we're not social distancing, we're physical distancing Mm -hmm. and, you know, socially, this is a really wonderful opportunity for the industry to come together. Um, and even for our unions to come together and, um, and to fight for this on our behalf and, and everything. So I thank you for putting this out there and starting this conversation and, um, And lending us, you know, your voice. Well,
0: you're you're welcome. And thank you for providing your megaphone so I can, uh, I can spread this to (laughs) to
1: this guy. Like I said,
0: I didn't start anything. I've been talking about this for years and people were talking about it for decades before Mm -hmm. I was. Um, I just think that if, if there ever was a time now is the time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I remember like, I used to tell my mom like, Oh man, like my bosses are always divorced or they're single, or they never see their kids ever. And I would pick up on that, you know, even when I was younger in my twenties and, you know, things like, I would notice things like that. Um, And when I was younger, it didn't feel like as big of an issue, but as I got older, my needs changed, you know, my desires changed. So, um, you know, I've been talking about this for years too, but not publicly. So Mm -hmm.
0: I um, I think I think maybe that's the difference is that mm-hmm. um, because I've been talking about it for years, it's it's taking some of the fear out of maybe it's time for me to to share my story and speak up too. So mm-hmm. um that, that's maybe the only thing that's changed. Cause I know when I first started this and I wrote my first post, um, it was called a classic case of post production burnout. And it just spread like wildfire. It's basically just a personal journal. I didn't even really have a blog yet. It was just like me testing a blog, like, how does it work? It was like my third or fourth article spread like wildfire. And I was like, whoa. And everybody said the same thing. I can't believe you said that in public. I've been wanting to say this for years and I've been terrified to say it. And you said exactly how I feel. And that was a a big moment for me to, to realize that I really wasn't by myself and this was affecting a lot more people. And the article that I just wrote two weeks ago was that times about a thousand. Yeah. Cause now it's everybody in every sector of the industry. Cause I've kind of, I've, I've stayed in my, my, my lane of post-production, post-production. for a long time, yeah, yeah. which I was fine with cause I'm an editor. I like my small dark room. I chose it for a reason, you know, love, love my introverted nature. Um, but I realized that it's, it's not just about post. Everybody is feeling the exact same thing. And my hope is that because of that, we do start to come together, not just as I'm this guilt or that guilt, or we're production or we're cinematography. Like, no, we're all human beings that want to survive this business. So I'm, I, if there's one thing that that I can maybe have a little tiny hand in changing or improving, it's the communication between all of the various guilds. So we can realize we all have the exact same core fundamental issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. Thank you so much, Zach. This was awesome. And it's been so, you know, I was thinking about your social distancing line. I mean, it's the same thing, the same way that we connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much. So, I mean, if people do you have still have that post up, I'm sure people might want to see it. If Oh
0: yeah. So I, the, the post is still up. They can go to optimizeyourselfme slash normal. Uh, it's called dear Hollywood. We don't want to go back to normal. Normal wasn't working. Um, uh, most likely by the time this goes up, I'm going to have a follow-up to that one. Um, and I won't to, I won't give away the title because it might change by the time I publish it. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's essentially going to be a, a much deeper dive into a lot of the stuff that you and I already talked about today about hours and parking. Parkinson's law and the old way of the industrial revolution versus the 21st century. A lot of the stuff we're talking about here to give people ammunition so they can have the same conversation without doing the 10 years of research that I've had to do to get to this point. So it's, here's everything I've learned in 10 years. And so you can argue it in five minutes. Right. (laughs) Um, And then the other thing, if people are uh, kind of in the same position as a lot of my clients where time management is kind of a train wreck right now, because for the first time in their life, they don't have a boss telling them what to do. Um, I have uh, an entire four part mastermind masterclass that walks them through how to learn deep work, how to learn Time management, how to optimize creativity. It's called the Work From Home Survival Guide. Uh, and they can go to optimizeyourself.me slash survival guide, hundred percent free, no strings attached, no trial periods. They just it used to be a paid course and when the pandemic hit, I'm just giving it away for free.
1: That's awesome. That's really awesome. Uh well, thank you, Zach, so much. I feel like we could go on for another hour, but I realize it's already been one hour. So <laughs> I'm gonna well, you up.
0: us editors in time management, we like to we like to keep things to time, but I'll I'll let you get away with it this time. So
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, but thank you so much. And please go check out Zach and go follow him. I'll link to his stuff in the show notes. Um, and thank you. Like this is such a good conversation for us to continue having. And by us, I mean all of us. Um, and so I'm excited. I'm excited for the future. I'm excited to see, you know, what comes of this.
0: Well, I very much appreciate the opportunity. This has been a blast. So yes, we're, we're definitely going to have to keep in touch.
1: Yes, absolutely. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you feel like this was worthwhile and I think this is such an important topic for Hollywood, please share it. Share it with your friends, share it with your colleagues, your peers, anyone in the industry. I think this is an important conversation to be having industry-wide with everybody who works in production, whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera. And go check out Zach's article. While he did touch on some of the components here, He did a really great job breaking it down in that article. It's kind of long, but it's important. And he did an excellent job explaining it. And if you feel compelled, if you agree with us, then go sign that petition. And hey, maybe we can actually work towards livable hours and get our lives back and still do what we love and have a rounded, fulfilling life. Um, So thank you so, so much. Share the shit out of this, and I hope you have an amazing day. And it feels like I'm on top of the world, top, top of the world, top, top of the world, baby. And it feels like I'm on top of the world, top, top of the world, top, top of the world. Right where I should
0: be. Yeah.